they started going every other week to the person's home to help check in, see what was going on. And they started realizing, and he eventually, as they gained his trust, he shared that he was going to the emergency room, not only because he felt welcome, because he felt isolated, but also because he could get a warm meal. And he had been referred to Meals on Wheels. The problem was he didn't know how to get it. Welcome to This is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard, and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast brings together leaders in rural healthcare with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what's happening across today's rural healthcare ecosystem. Each week, you'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they're finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This is Rural Health, the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association. My name is Scott Hertzberg, president of the CSRHA. And joining me in today's episode is Dr. Laura Clapper, market medical director for CCA Health California. Laura, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you, Scott, for having me. We're, I'm very excited to be here and talking about rural health. Yeah, we had been going back and forth for, it feels like a few months, trying to make this happen. So I'm glad that the stars aligned and that schedules aligned and we're able to make this happen. I know we have a few different things that we wanted to cover in our discussion today, but I think one of the primary areas was food insecurity which I know that that's not something I deal with on a day-to-day basis, you know, in healthcare, but it's a big deal for a lot of people. So do you mind queuing up our listeners and kind of level setting with everyone so that they have an idea of what exactly is food insecurity? Thanks, Scott. When you think about food insecurity, it can be a couple different things. So one is low food security means maybe reduced quality, variety, desirability of the diet. So you're making some choices. You may have less fresh food or things like that, but you have enough food. Very low food security is where you're having disruptive eating patterns. Maybe you're really deciding that you're going to take a meal and split it between two meals, or you have a mom who's deciding to give her kids food and not eat herself or things like that. And one of the things I think is really important for your listeners to hear is that it can be invisible. You know, I think people think, well, that's something where you see somebody where they're on the streets and they're, oh, they may, they probably have food insecurity, but it's much more invisible than that. It may be the person in line in front of you at the grocery store where you see them putting items back because they're worried about what their bill is, right? That's kind of a telltale sign of someone who's like really trying to manage their food budget. It may be that senior who gets their social security check buys their food, and then all of a sudden they're they're trying to, it's the third week and they're starting to run out of food and they have to make it to the next social security check comes in their bank account. And those are different things that you see. People may be doing fine in terms of broad food choices at the beginning of the month, but towards the end, they don't have the money to go buy fruits and vegetables and fresh food and they're trying to eat through their cans or frozen food to try to make it, but they may not have food at all. The other thing that I think is really important when we think about food insecurity is it it may be a chronic problem 
for a family or a senior, but it may also be something that's acute. There's road closures, there's a forest fire, a wildfire, something happens. They turn off the power to your refrigerator because you're in a rural area where they're at risk for wildfires. And now all your food you had for the month defrosts and you don't have the money to go refill your refrigerator. So you have to figure out how to make it for the month. So those are different things, right? There's, it may be a senior who has some dementia. So having kind of some mind processing problems and they can't quite remember how to like pull a meal together or what they need to do. And maybe my own mother-in-law, she was having some problems with losing her vision. And so she had couldn't really cook things on the stove or in the oven because she couldn't do the dial. She was trying to use the microwave. And yet she couldn't really read how to do the microwave. And we actually glued. Because the writing is so small. And yeah. So she actually, we glued beads on so she could kind of know like the bid Big bead is at 30 seconds, oh. little bead. You know, how does someone who's I love you know, that a senior who's trying to like cook some food, even meals on wheel, how do you get it warm again? Right. If you can't like even use a microwave or a stove or anything, and you don't have the social supports for someone from your neighborhood or your church who can family can come in and help you. So I think it's many more of these, it's individualized and personal why you may have food insecurity. Okay, question one, already my brain is blown wide open. So I love it. Not something I really ever thought about, just something like you have food, but it's harder to access due to something that you've got going on, something that's personal, that's invisible. You know, I'm thinking I back 15 or so years ago, I used to work in home oxygen. And that's one of the big things when you transition to being on oxygen 24 hours a day, you can't cook at the stovetop anymore because you are at risk for the oxygenated environment. You know, it's a big fire hazard. And so we just would tell those people, oh, switch to meals on wheels. Never even dawned on me that that doesn't necessarily solve the problem if you have other difficulties like reheating or accessing that food. And so I'm thinking, oh, we've solved the issue. And instead it introduces a whole different issue. The beads, that is ingenious. Yeah. I mean, I would think that in for a lot of people, they may not realize how prevalent it is. And food insecurity is something that is embarrassing and stigmatized, right? So it's not something that if you suffer from it, that you're going to bring up, you're going to try and stretch and accommodate and put on that brave face. Because I think a lot of folks assume it is a socioeconomic thing, right? It is, you have failed to provide for your family. And it's so much more nuanced than that. So I really appreciate you bringing up those other parts of it. Um, and then maybe that a family just all of a sudden gets a big bill, like they need to do something to keep their car moving. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the joke is that your car engine is waiting, right? right? And then all of a sudden now you don't have the money to make it to your, you know, to the next paycheck and you're really short on funds. Yeah. When you get things like shrinkflation, right, where you're the package you used to buy, especially if you're fixed income, the packaging that you used to buy is not 16 ounces anymore. It's 14 ounces. And that is a small difference, but it adds up at the end of the month. There's a lot in there. So what are some of the other factors that might play in besides socioeconomic? Well, one, when we talk about rural areas in particular, 
you mm-hmm. start to realize that uh, transportation may be an issue to get to where there's a market or farmer's market that has food. Because it's, and since you're living farther apart, it may be harder to right. get someone to help take you. There's less public transportation. If you're having any kind of disability, so you have mobility issues, it's harder to take public transportation. One thing that CCA has done is we are very, we offer transportation as part of one of our benefits. And so trying to help members be able to access transportation, not only to get for groceries, but also for medical appointments. Oh yeah, that's that's huge. So I think that's, you know, mobility starts to be a really big issue. One of the other areas where someone could get a warm meal would be if they went to a food shelter or a senior center. Well, if you're in a rural area, going to a senior center is harder to get to. Right. Right. Going to a shelter is harder to get to. If you have a mobility issues, a lot of shelters don't want to take in seniors because they have bunk beds and seniors can't like get on the top bunk. Man, this is, yeah, there's so many different ways that this can be an issue for somebody. Or that you start getting into shelters where they don't want homo too, to your earlier point. Right. You know, they don't want seniors coming with their medicines, their equipment, all the different things, their mobility issues. They don't know if they can help someone with a wheelchair. Starts to be, if you're where you're not near public transportation, you maybe can't drive anymore because your vision. Now you're in a wheelchair. How do you get the kind of help you need, not only for food, but also for your medical appointments? And you brought up Meals on Wheels and... You know, one example that we have at CCA is just to kind of illustrate some of the issues we're talking about. And I think there's a good example of how how CCA really sees food insecurity as, one, a constellation of other issues from mental health to transportation to access to medical care, but also how we come and really want to work within the community and help create individualized personal care plans. So we had a member who was going to the emergency room and really and was anxious, was depressed, had some several chronic conditions, had both a care partner as well as a nurse. And they realized that they started going every other week to the person's home to help check in, see what was going on. And they started realizing, and he eventually, as they gained his trust, he shared that he was going to the emergency room, not only because he felt welcome, because he felt isolated, but also because he could get a warm meal. And he had been referred to Meals on Wheels. The problem was he didn't know how to get it. Yeah, that's a different kind of access. Wow. Yeah. And so they were able to, you know, call and get him signed up so he could start getting it. So I think a lot of times, and I'm a physician, I've referred people to community resources. And I have to say, and, you know, it took me a while to start realizing just because I'm like, oh, you can have Meals on Wheels, you can have this and that. That doesn't mean the person actually knows who to call or they have access to a phone to call. What if they don't have a cell plan? What all these different things that can go into, you know, actually being able to access those community resources. Yeah. I mean, even the ability of having groceries delivered, right? If you're otherwise able, but you can't, you don't have transportation, you can get groceries delivered. It was lovely during, you know, last couple of years being able to be home with sick kids or something and be able to get that delivered. But there's a huge markup to that right? In addition Mm -hmm. to delivery fees and stuff, like individual items are priced higher. 
so you have that there. And then, and then, yeah, it kind of a form of health literacy, not being able to know how to access the things that have been referred to you for, you know, that you're being referred to like meals on wheels. It's, there's a lot, I think that can go into it about educating the community members and making sure they have access to those resources. And following up because just because you said, Oh, you should see, you know, you would benefit from seeing a counselor or a psychologist and get meals on wheels. That doesn't mean, and I've been in that situation, right, as a physician, and I think I'm doing a great job because I've identified that I've done the screening, I identified the resources, right. I suggested it, but that's, there's a huge gap between suggesting that to someone and the person knowing how to get a hold of the people, being able to make sure it's all set up. What if you live in it, you know, knowing where in the county to get the help, if it's a behavioral health referral, maybe you live in one of the counties where there's no psychiatrist or very limited psychologist. And how do you figure out how to, do they take your insurance? You know, how do you get a hold in their schedule? What do you do in the meantime, if they have a three month wait? Yeah, I think in California, the mental health hips are where it like, 20% 20% of the providers that we need. No, it's like 13% of the providers we need to meet the population's needs. So checking the box referred doesn't, doesn't get the issue. So you talked a little bit about kind of the food desert, and that's something we normally think of in urban areas, right? That They don't have access to like the fresh fruits and vegetables. And in rural California, that, that is our bounty, right? It's the breadbasket of the country, but we have similar food desert issues. It starts to really be an issue, right? It, just like what you said, we think that food deserts are an urban issue, but they are also a rural issue for several different reasons. One is the food, you know, California is the breadbasket or the, the cornucopia, the, whatever. The cornucopia that make, you know, it's really produces a lot of the food for the U.S., And yet, right next door to a field, we can have a food desert, and partly because the farmers and where the food is being produced is a business, and they have like commitments to contracts, and it's going other places. So if you work near or live near a farm, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get access to that food, or it may not be the variety that you need. You may live next to an artichoke farm, and that's great. I love artichokes myself, but that's that's not going to give you a well-balanced diet. Yeah, that's a rough week, too, of artichokes. So you need to, you know, we need to think about it. And the statistics are just, like, astounding, actually, when you think about the urban food desert, that the Sacramento Food Banks were servicing 150,000 people per month during the pandemic, and they are now up to 270,000 per month. Almost half. I mean, almost double. Yeah. And my kids just brought home the, it's time to for the canned food drive and all this stuff. I remember my wife is a teacher. And so, you know, we have a, a lot of interaction with kids. And, you know, she was talking about how these, the canned food drives are great, but we're trying to impress upon our kids that, that folks who are accessing a food bank need access year round. Right. It's not like we need that. They just need it at Thanksgiving or Christmas or, you know, in the winter, like this, that's still the need is still there. And yes, there's seasonal work and stuff like that, that changes maybe income levels throughout the year. But, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is make sure that we are supporting those food banks year round and with 
accessible food. Something simple like a box of macaroni and cheese. You're like, oh, this is great. It's got great shelf life. Needs milk and butter and a stove and water. And it's like, that's not necessarily the best thing to be donating. But we have a lot of commercial donations to food banks. And I saw here that CCA made a huge donation to kind of support these community access things like food banks. CCA Health of California is really committed to being part of the community and supporting the communities we're in. And we see food security as a really important aspect of that. And we did make a $50,000 donation, as well as provided education information to the several different food banks, including the Stockton Food Bank and several others. And we really see ourselves as partnering with these community organizations to support the health in the community. Yeah, that's going to help a lot of people, right? And in some cases, provide them just the lift that they need to be able to get into a better situation themselves and maybe not need to access the food bank you know, next time because they had what they needed now. Another statistic is if you look on rural versus urban, is 25 to 29% of Merced, Stanislaus, and San Joaquin counties reported not having enough food during the pandemic. So that's pretty high, almost 30%, where Santa Clara, which is a less rural county, was under 20%. Yeah, I grew up in Santa Clara County, and it's one of those things where Folks would tell you, oh, we don't need this. We're a wealthy Silicon Valley county, right? We don't need access to these things. And that's not necessarily the reason people are accessing is, you know, there are many families. I know we were just talking with my wife half an hour ago where she said both parents, March 2020, lost their jobs. Just that was what happened. Five kids to feed. Both parents lost their jobs. And they're thinking, well, we didn't qualify for the free and reduced lunch at school because that was done at the beginning of the school year when we were both gainfully employed. So now what do we do? And I think California is kind of leading the way with this universal meal program. It's not a perfect fit, but it's one of the ways I think that the state is addressing access to food and food insecurity. And I think we've seen a handful of other states adopt similar programs. So how does something like that help to kind of lift those who would otherwise be excluded? I think that that is a really important aspect. And maybe to me, more important is this idea of reducing stigma. Yes. Yes. You're not the kid getting lunch debt. Right. You don't have to be the kid where you have a different colored card or you're not. Yes. The plain wheat and flat cheese sandwich. (laughs) People, kids didn't want to eat lunch because they didn't want other kids to see them with the different colored card. Yeah. And so I think having a more universal approach will normalize that people eat food at school. When I think there was a gap, right? Right. My understanding is you can, I know we're here talking about Medicare, you know, CCA Health of California is a Medicare Advantage plan, and we're many times focused on seniors. But my understanding is if you have a change of income, you can go and requalify for the school lunch program. So and if anyone's listening and they're not in the universal program, that to know that that happens to families. And that's why you can do that. Yeah, that's good. Good to know. Good to share. I wasn't aware of that. So but I know that there's a gap, right? There are people who there's definitely a gap. And I was going to say, you know, a lot of times that's why communities also have senior centers, and they tend to be more universal in offering food for like, if they're going to have lunch certain days a week or whatever. And so that also helps too. 
having this idea of universal because it really makes it so people don't have to because people are proud they don't want to be that they're taking a handout yeah and i think even when you were bringing up the idea about like the canned uh, food drive what happens if you're a student and you don't feel you have canned food to bring in yeah right 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 and so, you know, how, how do we address that or make it normal, like it, that it's optional or things like that? Because people don't really want to say that they can't do something or they're having trouble. They need help. So one of the other things that I had kind of marked out was, and you'd mentioned wildfires um, and having power turned off and things like that. You know, that's not something that I had really thought about, but we had those, you know, really devastating wildfires up in paradise or at the campfire. That is a very rural area. And I remember this because I worked at Adventist Health at the time, and it was our hospital that burned down. But, you know, hearing stories of folks up there that had a wonderful grocery store nearby and normally had fantastic access to really good, healthy food because the fire sprinklers were triggered over the entire store. The entire store's stock was wiped out. Because of the amount of ash that was in the air and got into the water, all the produce was doused with dirty water. And so you had, at the time when you have this community that needs it most, the entire grocery store had to couldn't give away their food because it had been not destroyed directly, it hadn't been burned, but it had been destroyed kind of indirectly by this devastating wildfire. And so they had to reach out to all of the neighboring communities to kind of, you know, lift them up. And, you know, we were scrambling for a long time trying to figure out how to take care of our patients. Yeah, that's a really like heart wrenching story about because there's not very many roads going in and out of paradise. I think there's one. So trying to get the food up there and then losing the food that's near there is so tough. I think it's also important when we think about food security. I was thinking back, I grew up in Los Angeles and we've had some serious earthquakes and my family lost our food during earthquake and we went to the American Red Cross tents and got food, right? Because the stores also were impacted by the earthquakes and just like what you're saying, the shells fell over, they had complete loss at the stores. And so- you know, I think nat- natural disasters are a really hard time for people not only have food insecurity, because and it really brings it home, they can happen to anyone, but you also have a problem having water, getting your medications, mm-hmm. and all those the other things that a lot of times we'll take for granted. Yeah. So an organization like Commonwealth Carolina CCA, what are some of the things that they're doing to kind of mitigate these issues for folks. I mean, you, can't, you guys can't stop earthquakes. Yeah, no, we're not going to solve that or flooding or other things. But we are strongly committed to the food banks in the communities that we work in. We do everything to have people who've been impacted by natural disasters to have their medications refilled and work with them to get that. Working with them if they have need help in terms of referrals for housing or other things, which really strong. I'm so impressed with CCA Health of California and CCA in general about our commitment to not only the communities, but each individual person and really thinking about how can we make it personal, help come up with an individualized care plan. We work really closely with our medical groups and IPAs in terms of, so the provider, CCA, and the member 
can work together to have a appropriate or, you know, individualized, personalized plan. You treat people like people. Yeah, people, I mean, live your best life because that's what it's all right. And, you know, we use the term social determinants of health a lot of times in healthcare about these other things outside of healthcare, but they're really part of your quality of life and your whole, the holistic approach to caring for another person or caring for yourself. How do we help yeah. someone have the best life? Well, and they're all stressors, right? And and they compound each other. So, you know, CCA Health California is able to alleviate even one stressor on somebody to take one thing off of their mind so that they can focus on the other things, whether that is access to medication and food or following up on a referral, you know, those other things. That's a huge impact. And it could be that that's the one thing that helps them access all this other stuff more easily. No, fair. I mean, I think that you're totally right that we want to make it easier for people to be healthy. Yeah. Right. So have good food, have water, live in a community where there's infrastructure and social uh, interaction and community that way too. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in what this is mid-October. We're in open enrollment time. Um, and I know that I just got the you know invite from my work to like, let's have a meeting. Let's look over your benefits, like all this stuff. What's something folks who are enrolling can do to make sure that they have access to the stuff that they need? I think being informed. So look, you know, talking to a broker and you can just go, you know, depending on what insurance that you're going to have. So if you're talking to your employer, trying to really look through where's the best access for you in terms of providers and hospitals, looking at what kind of plan makes sense to you and for your family in terms of the monthly premium, what's the co-payment for the visit or the co-insurance, you know, how much do you need to pay when you go as well as for a hospital or other kinds of of services. So I think being able to really have a good picture, a lot of times people don't take the time to understand that. And yet, I think understanding that will really help families because sometimes people are overpaying, they're paying a high premium, so they can have less. And I tend to do that myself, because I'm like, I'd rather just be able to go get care. But maybe now you're having the money taken out of your paycheck, maybe you're better off coming to something that's kind of in the meat in the middle. So you have the less taken out of your paycheck, but you pay a little more when you go to the visit because prevention visits like your annual wellness exam or your child's pediatric visits, those don't have co-payments usually. You can go for those. So I think trying to figure out what's the best combination. If you have a lot of chronic conditions, you know you're going to go for a lot of appointments and take a lot of medications, maybe having something that's a higher premium makes sense. When we think about you know, Medicare and Medicare Advantage, I, really looking at the benefits, uh, there are enrollers that can work with you to help you understand, to compare on the CMS site, what's the right plan for you. That is, yeah, that's always the challenge that I have is I look at the two plans and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to need for the next year. But, you know, doing the research or talking with someone who who's well-versed in it, who can really give you that personalized care. It seems like that's the best bet. Yeah, it is hard because how do you know what you're going to have in the next year? I mean, you can you can look and be like, I think my kids are going to need braces, but you don't know that I think in six months I'm going to fall and, you know, break my leg. I think the good thing, good or bad thing, is if you do have something catastrophic, it tends to max out the out-of-pocket. So that's bad because you have to pay the out-of-pocket, but it starts to be like, 
that's just what happens. Almost whatever plan you chose. So it's more what's below the out-of-pocket and these more chronic appointments, chronic meds. Do you need to get an infusion? Do you have a chronic condition where you need to have an infusion at your house or different things like that? That can, you know, is that a doctor you can go to? I think when we think about rural areas, we also have to think about what's the telehealth benefit. Absolutely. Right. Because, you know, when I was listening to your podcast about telehealth, I think that was so true. I love the story about, I've been a big proponent for telehealth and the story about your wife going and having to save a half hour drive, right? And to do her a visit in their car, I thought that was great. And that's really what we're trying to do, right? What if you can see the doctor and make that work so you're not having to drive that far? It takes, you know, it's a lot of wear and tear if you have to do a long drive to see the doctor. And it's transportation, it's missing work, it's being away from your family. There's a lot of things where if you don't need to drive or have the time, it's much better care to be able to have telehealth or so I you know I think that that's something I if it was me I'd be looking at what do they offer for telehealth yeah I mean I'm I will fully admit I'm biased toward telehealth because the company I work for really leaned into telehealth for mental health behavioral health during the last few years and is still very focused in it and so you know I've seen the benefits of that especially again for these 15 to 30 minute appointments, you know, the ability to do it from the privacy of your own home or your car in the parking lot or whatever, whatever works for you instead of taking a day off. And although we're primarily in urban areas, it's even more compounded by being in a rural area. So access to broadband is again, it's another access issue that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're just, it's a gap that we need to make up in rural California. And it's always good when we have options available to us. And having someone who can help explain those options is even more important because I'm not savvy. Like we have, we have someone on the CSRJ board who knows telehealth inside and out. I'm savvy as a user of it, as a patient, but I don't know all the elements of it. And so, you know, even I like need someone to explain it to me, like how this all works and, and what are the benefits beyond just being a patient. So it's great to have organizations who can help share that with patients so they can make educated choices, right? It's all health literacy. Yeah, no, I liked it how you brought up health, that it's all part of health literacy earlier, because I think you're right. It is part of health literacy, being able to use your benefits and know how to really understand your benefits and know how to access them and how to benefit from them is really important. So I I think it's, it's Telehealth is so important. And one thing I wanted to say is that CCA does offer Teladoc. So there is behavioral health, telehealth for all our members in California. And I, I think that's important and for urgent care and other services. So while we work with the providers, we we consider the Teladoc is really like a wraparound. If you can't get in to see your doctor, if you need to have the behavioral health because many rural counties, I think 65% of rural counties don't have a psychiatrist. Yeah. Right? 47% of rural counties don't have a psychologist. So we're talking about half don't have a psychologist and more than half don't have a psychiatrist. That's a huge access issue. So while we all want to go, maybe go and see someone in person, just being able to get access, not to mention how far you have to drive or get a friend to drive you or anything like that. So we need to figure out ways to use telehealth and make it more accessible. 
Well, and telehealth can reduce stigma. Again, it, especially in a in a rural setting where maybe everyone knows the car that you drive, parking outside of that healthcare facility where you're maybe not ready to share that with the world and someone drives by and sees your truck there and they go, oh, I know what kind of healthcare you're getting, right? It, it helps until you're ready to share that with the world. You shouldn't have to. And being able to access on your own terms is is critical to that. I love that you brought that up because I think it's so true. Sometimes people just don't seek behavioral health care because they don't want to have someone see them waiting in the waiting room. Yeah. And the car or any of things like that. So I think being able to have a privacy in seeking care is really important. I've been involved in some projects over the years. So firefighters or police officers, they don't want to have to be going through the emergency room and having people see them getting behavioral health care. So getting right. access to a different door. It just brought, kind of came to mind yeah. as about in small towns where people could see like whose office you're parking by. Right, right. No, it's everybody's impacted by this idea. Like you want to have control of how you share around your health issues or your behavioral health issues. It's privacy. And it's also stigma. How we need to do more to normalize that part of seeking behavioral health care is taking care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to make sure everyone has food and access to high quality care on their own terms. I think we're solving all the issues here. Just those two things would get us pretty far. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So as we're kind of winding down, is there anything that you, that I didn't cover that you want to make sure that our listeners know about, learn about, can go for more information? Just a couple key points that I wanted to really share. And that's one is that I just want to challenge everyone to think about, one, to seek about understanding around food insecurities and really increase awareness that how invisible it is that have understanding that it could be anyone and it could be you. It could be you. It could be me that these things happen to people or they lose their job. They have a big expense as they're struggling to meet. Their credit cards are maxed out and they can't go into the store and put it on their credit card and they're having to take things out of the cart. Things like this happen and we all need to understand that to really be compassionate about it. And so understanding and awareness, we need to normalize and reduce stigma. And then I think the third one is if you're in a situation where you are a screener, so you're a provider's office, uh, there's other places, maybe some community-based organizations do screening, screen everyone. Please don't screen just someone that you think, well, their clothes don't look nice, or they live in a certain area of town where you think that they probably don't have food access, because it really could be anyone. It could be some of the folks, like we were talking about, where they are on home oxygen, or they have other kinds of issues, they can't use their stove. And they may need some help like Meals on Wheels because of their mobility or their chronic condition disability. So please screen everybody, universal screening. And then this idea about even if you screen someone and you make a referral and you think, great, look, I identified it, referred you to Meals on Wheels, figure out how to do the follow through so you can really make sure that they get it set up, whether it's calling, helping them call while they're sitting there to get them set up right while they're sitting there, figure out a follow-up phone call. So, hey, did that happen? Do you need some help getting that set up? I can Let's call together. So really yeah. not helping someone get the care they need. So the, those, th- those three things, increased awareness, 
reduce stigma and normalize that it's okay to seek care for this and three screening and if you're up to it volunteer at a food bank i think that's important too yeah direct care right i mean that's gonna go further than money in many cases but yeah i love it well thank you so much for having us time to come and talk to us about about all of these different things i learned a lot i always love doing episodes where I haven't tread in that territory before because I get to learn so much and then and then my family gets to hear about it at dinner in, you know, an hour. But I'm like, oh guess what we talked about, guess what we talked about. So it's fantastic. I'm glad we're able to share this information and share you with our audience. Being included and being able to talk about CCA's commitment to the communities. You can actually go to CCA Health. So CCA Health, we'll make sure that that's in the show notes so that folks know um, where to go and they can learn more about the programs that you're offering, you know, this uncommon care. Right. That's really what we believe in is uncommon care, which is really based on making it personal and really working within the community with the community-based organizations. I love it. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Take care. Thank you. This is Rural Health is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at csrha.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRJ Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association.